We made this. to You Have Been Watching, a podcast devoted to looking in-depth into the fascinating curiosity that is the British television sitcom, part of the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and I'm joined by my co-host, Robert Turnbull, and in this episode, we are talking about 15 Stories High, starring the late Sean Locke, which had, which had two series between 2001 to 2003. The show revolves ostensibly around Locke's Vince, a dyed-in-the-wool misanthrope who lives in a grimy London tower block and gains a flatmate in Errol, played by Benedict Wong, a naive, friendly but earnest young scouser who has moved to the big city. The series follows Vince and Errol as they become embroiled in a succession of depressing comic escapades, while at the same time we get a glimpse of the dark, weird and sometimes sad lives of the many residents of the tower block around them. So... Obviously, Rob, this show uh, has, has really come back into the consciousness following the sad death of Sean Locke, who died in August of cancer. He was only 58 years old. And uh, subsequently, after years in the wilderness, it came back on BBC iPlayer. Uh, I, think, I think it had a, a showing on gold in 2014 uh, at, at some point. But uh, beyond that, it's not really been repeated. It's not been on iPlayer in nearly 20 years. So... I think, I wonder if we'd have even seen this really crop up again, apart from like cult DVD kind of things and word of mouth from certain people. Sadly, were it not for the fact Sean Locke had died. Yeah, I mean, it's it obviously it's a sad reason for it to, to sort of come back to the forefront. I think it's good that it's come back. I think, you know, it's, it's nice to have this stuff out there. You know, we've talked previously about um, Paris, which was a sort of a, one of those little cul-de-sac sitcoms didn't really go anywhere didn't really do anything but it's it's a quirk it's interesting and i i wish that all those shows were available whether it's whether it's something like paris that was a complete bomb or whether it's something like uh, 15 stories which which in its day seemed to be quite popular quite successful so although it's the worst reason for it to come back i do think it's good that these things are starting to especially with streaming it makes it well it doesn't make it easy. Sorry. Oh my god, I was about to get really TV working, boring there. It's like it's easy. You just put it on the internet. <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> Which is why actually it's kind of it's kind of nice that the BBC have have put it out there because it's it's not that easy to just stick it up there. Um, but it's it's relatively easy. So it, it it's nice that these things are coming to the forefront now, and hope hopefully more will. But hopefully it won't be under such sad circumstances. Mm, yeah, I, I I don't know what your feelings were on on. Sean Locke's death. I, 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 I was never a mega fan of his, really. I never sort of watched his stand-up necessarily. I didn't watch this at the time, and I, I but I, and, and I only very sporadically watch watch those kind of panel comedy things. I, you know, I've seen the I saw the odd eight out of ten cats, which was, it was mainly what he was on on Channel Four. But I, I, I don't really watch that stuff particularly. So. 
But whenever he was on, I always found him quite funny. You know, I, I would always... I, he always came out with stuff in a quite a, you know, a, a deadpan sort of sardonic way that did make me chuckle. So I, 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 I always found him fairly good value when he was on. But I wouldn't say I have a real attachment to him or his work necessarily. As shocked and as sad as I was to hear he died, it wasn't it wasn't like a Rick Mail for me where it just pierced me in the heart, basically. I'm kind of similar. I'll be honest that I was I was never really a big fan of Sean Locke's comedy and his material. Uh, whether it was his stand up comedy or his his panel show stuff. But I think, well, I mean, I mean, especially in his in his panel show stuff, I always found him a little bit. I think it's, there's a little bit of a a bully nature to it. He's quite a big punchline stomper. Because uh, what you've got to remember, of course, in those panel shows is that all of that spontaneous, uh, you know, improvised stuff that they're doing has all been rehearsed all afternoon and has been written by a group of three or four writers. Sure. Um, not to shatter the illusion. Um, and a lot of a lot of it on those panel shows is really about the ability to perform um, and, and sort of like riff around. I'm not I'm not saying there's no spontaneity, but it's the ability to riff around a kind of a constructed script and, and through line, which which Sean was really good at. He was very good at, um, you know, taking the material that had been written and rehearsed and kind of like performing it as if it were a lot more fresh. But it, I, I always did feel he was a little bit of a, a little bit of a punchline stomper at times. Um, but actually I think he had quite, I think YouTube weirdly. So I was kind of surprised actually. No, surprise is unfair, but, um, it was, it was very sad. I was very, I was genuinely sad when, when I heard that he died. Um, but I was ever so slightly surprised by how beloved he seemed to be. Um, because I felt, you know, that he was maybe a little bit of a, uh, like a B-lister almost. I don't know if that that may be a slightly unfair way to describe it, but I felt like he wasn't like at the top tier of those kind of comedies. He was like had a f- comfortable niche that he'd found. Um, but then you never know other people's taste in comedy. So I was kind of surprised a little bit by how beloved he seemed to be and and, and the sort of the outpouring. And and like you say, for you, it would have been a, a Rick Mail. He he had the response that I would have expected maybe for a Bob Mortimer. Um, mm, mm. Sorry, this is a really hor- horrible way to describe someone, isn't it? In the in the uh, the level of uh, mourning people would show. No, no, I, I get it though because I think it, it 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 depends on you know the kind of presence that they had. I think out there. I I, th- I think to be honest, I think he he was popular, and I think it. I think it could also have been just the fact it was tragic, you know, and, and it was it was obviously the same with Rick Mail. I think he was around the same age, wasn't mm. he, when he died? Um, but late fifties. It's just the fact it was suddenly so out the blue, you know, and you and you you would see Sean Locke a lot, you know, he'd pop up on these shows which always seem to be on, you know, whether they're on Channel Four or they're being repeated on things like Dave and all this kind of thing. He's a face who would have been on TV probably every single day in that kind of context. So people probably we just used to him being there you know in the background on these kind of things and so for the to then find out he's quite suddenly to you know audiences anyway eyes just died of cancer at such a young age i think that probably is what it was it's just a level of oh my god what how sad and then wow he's i remember him being on and laughing at him more than i thought i did yeah i guess and I suppose the difference between that and, and someone like maybe if it was a Bob Mortimer or a Rick Mayer in, is that they had 
a much more of a long-term bank of comedy that was defined as pretty classic to go back on and think, oh, wow, okay, this guy did, you know, Bottom and The Young Ones and all these kind of things. So I suppose it's different different ways you sort of interpret a death, isn't it, of someone like this who's who's in the public consciousness so Definitely. much. Definitely, and I think that Sean had kind of, like, it sort of imbued himself into the consciousness. Like, you know, with, with Cats, it does Countdown in particular, you know, so many of those clips... Um, it's just like constantly going over, you know, YouTube and Twitter and getting reposted, you know, even before even before his sad death. Uh, so I think that mm. like for, you know, for a younger audience um, who don't necessarily sit and watch Channel 4 at 10 o'clock at night, I think he was quite present. And also it's yeah. a very relatable uh, and it's 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 terrible to realize this. It's a very relatable death. He was, you know, he was mm. the age of someone's dad dying of what kills someone's yeah. someone's dad so i think that it was it exactly. it was very sad for a lot of reasons and i think it's it's one of those strange maybe you wouldn't necessarily have expected it beforehand but i think it actually really affected and touched a lot of people in in a in a really sudden kind of way it was very it was very mm. sad actually very very sad it, it was it was not to the same level but it was similar to chadwick boseman um the year yeah. before Obviously, and Chadwick Boseman was even younger, but um, but yeah, you know, it, it is that kind of shock effect, really. But obviously, it, it's meant that Fifteen Stories High has suddenly popped back up again, and it's a show that now people are starting to notice a little bit more because it's back on iPlayer and it's been promoted and this kind of thing. So let's start talking about it. What was what was your first exposure to the show? So mine, hands up, it is completely this. I'd never heard of it before. I'd vaguely heard of it before, maybe. I never watched it at the time, and my first exposure to it completely is for this podcast is for going away and watching it so have did you watch it at the time have you got anything or are you exactly the same I'd, I'd watched a couple of episodes at the time um doing this rewatch actually i realized that i'd watched more episodes so i watched uh, i knew that i had definitely watched the first two episodes when it came out watching this i realized that i'd watched one episode in the second series as well because I, I was re-watching I was like oh I remember this I recognize this so I I right. I dabbled at the time I, yeah because I guess it, it would be like I mean what, what what I mean overall then what what do you what do you think of it because I guess it would be considered one of those shows that it wouldn't necessarily be mega essential to watch every episode as such. You know, it do, it is a little bit of a show that I think you could just dip in and out of. You could watch one random episode mm-hmm. here and there because it doesn't really have particular ongoing story lines, really. It doesn't really have a sense of narrative momentum. It is often just a, an escapade or a day in the life of, of these characters with lots of these other little vignettes going on. So, I mean... I guess it is a show you could just dip in and out of. What, what, did, what, did, what did you think of it overall? What are your What are your general thoughts about about this show? Uh, I think it's shit. End of End of podcast. <laughs> Roll music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see you next week, everyone. I mean, I um, mean. <laughs> okay. To... <laughs> <laughs> finally we've peaked there Sean we've peaked there. making yeah. me laugh um no to to, <laughs> to expand to expand upon that just a little for you um at at the time um 
so so I, w- I was not really a Sean, you know, never have really been a Sean Locke fan. Um, so at the time, it wasn't like, oh, I love this guy. I need to check out his work. Um, I, you know, I've said before, I, I will often try and watch a new show. Give it give it a go. See if it works for me. I watched a couple of episodes. It didn't work. Um, and having rewatched the whole thing, we're now about to discuss why it didn't work. But it didn't work for me at the time. Um, and I basically hadn't given it much thought. And uh, obviously, quite recently, lots of people have been saying, you know, oh, wow, no, I watched it and I loved it. I loved it and I watched it. You need to give it a go. And in my brain, I just had this vague memory of a a not very funny show. Um, and I did, I did actually sit down thinking, OK, did I completely misjudge this? Have I completely misremembered this? Um, but no, I still I just I don't think it's I don't think it's very good. And the the key reason is is that I actually don't think it I don't think it pins itself to any one thing. Like I I can see what it's trying to do. I can see what it's going for, but I don't think it effectively achieves any of those things. It's like I almost I almost feel like it lacks the power of its own convictions. It's not quite it's not strange enough, it's not surreal enough, it's not dark enough it's not depressing enough it's just sort of dips its feet into the swimming pool of oddness and never quite jumps in i have similar sentiments i think i i think there 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 are things in here i think are interesting and i think at times it made me laugh i'd be lying if i said that wasn't the case Particularly some of the earlier episodes, actually. Some of the, maybe the first two or three. I think I found more to laugh at in those episodes than I did for most of the rest mm. of it, really. But I, I, I found it a slog, yeah, absolutely. really, if I'm honest. I, I found getting... And it's, it's only 12 episodes, but it felt a lot more. <laughs> it felt a lot longer. They're only half an hour. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because it feels like a show that should be better than it is because it has a lot of the constituent mm. elements that are pretty you know pretty classic british comedy ideas you've got an absolute misanthrope of a main character you've got a really depressing grimy location you've got two characters who are complete opposites you've got the you've got the grump and you've got the the you know the the quite cheery optimistic you know simpleton in a way optimistic guy You've got the, those two those two opposites, which you see all the time throughout British comedy, particularly, and you have a, a, a very distinctive, you know, situated place. Yeah. You know, a kind of almost like a cross between Nelson Mandela House from Only Fools and Horses and Richie and Eddie's flat in Bottom. You know, you've got you've got a lot of inspirational sort of text there as well, and we'll talk more about that, I guess. Yet it just doesn't often really no, work in a way that that I don't really understand why because this is festooned with lots of really good comic actors at various different points it's got some really interesting ideas for the facts you know not just Errol and, and Vince's plots but all the little vignettes of different people in the tower blocks and stuff but I don't know what it is it, it, it reminded me of, of, of some of those strange sort of sketch show kind of things that, that, that were really hit and miss. Things like Big Train, mm-hmm, yeah. say, from around the same time. That you'd get one great sketch and then you'd get five that were just died on its ass. And I just, I just felt like a lot of that was the case here. Now, it could be that it's 
as with all comedy, it's subjective. You of will get course. people come in and think this is brilliant. I've I've read a piece, a very good piece actually, not recently, which argues this is brilliant. And and I I I can understand that that where they're coming from in terms of the argument they make. But I think ultimately, comedy the litmus test for comedy comes down to did it make you laugh? And this didn't really, for the most part. Much as I was, I thought the performances were pretty good for the most part. I thought it had good ideas. It was I liked the visual side of it in terms of the fact that it does try and create a sense of mood and a sense of place. And I think I think it's quite good at sort of immersing you into that a little bit. Uh, I, I came away from each episode feeling like I could do with a wash, <laughs> you know. So that's quite good. Um, but I just didn't really like it very much. And and, and I'm quite sad about that, really, because I, I, I was hoping this was going to be a bit of a hidden gem. And I don't know if it is. I think it's one of those shows that, awful as it sounds, had Sean Lott lived to a ripe old age, I don't really think it would have really got much resurgent traction at all, to be honest. Yeah, and I... I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm being cruel or or dismissing other people's genuine opinions or genuine like of the show. But I I do feel a little bit like in in the wake of his death, I do wonder whether maybe people have built up this show a little bit, because also interestingly, it's like you know, Sean in terms of his body of work, the type of work that he has. Um, this is sort of the only thing where you can kind of like pinpoint it as a as a sort of a a, a monument, I guess, to the man because obviously he was a stand up comic, so the majority of his work is is stand up comedy, and you know and and you know appearing on on panel shows and stuff like this, and it's like when a stand up comic dies, you don't necessarily talk about oh that really good. 10 minute set they did he will always be remembered for that brilliant 10 minute set you know if you've got like a a, a billy Connolly or a, a lee evans you know their obituary obituary sorry, their, their obituary <laughs> i'm gonna talk about um obviously he's gonna talk about their stand-up comedy but you'll pin things on their more significant performances um you know, you'll talk about their film work and their acting work because it's a it's a slightly, I guess, unfair as it may be, it's it's a slightly deeper thing to talk about. And I do wonder whether the fact that, that Sean Locke had a sitcom, and especially a sitcom which was maybe a little bit of an outlier, you know, it sort of got cancelled before its time, if if you sort of go with that narrative. Uh, it did get, um, uh, I think it was a BAFTA nomination. Um, you know, so it's like, it's quite it's quite a nice thing to pin um to pin your your tributes to the man on it's like kind of like well look you know you think of him as the eight out of ten cats guy and you might have seen his stand up and live at the apollo mm. but here's this this one thing that he did and you can go and you can watch it and you can revisit it and i do wonder whether people have kind of pinned a little bit too much or they've they've kind of like over over praised it slightly um which I know that's kind of an unfair thing because, like you say, comedy is a, is subjective, and you know we may be in 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 a very small minority of people that didn't enjoy this, but it's an odd one. It's because it, it, I kept thinking about those other kind of sitcoms which are sort of sketch shows, and you know the, I, I guess the most obvious is um, League of Gentlemen, which is sort of a yeah. sitcom but sort of a sketch show. Um, and hopefully we'll talk about that at some point. 
Um, and I, I am, I am not the world's biggest League of Gentlemen fan. As I, I have, you know, I have uh, mixed feelings about about that show whilst adoring the performers and a lot of their other work. But League of Gentlemen has a has a tightness to it, and it has a focus to it, and also it's very dark, and it's got a creepiness mm. and an undercurrent and an unpleasantness to it that that sells it, that really works. And that was one of the things I felt missing in this show. It's like it, it's like it's almost hyper real, but it's not quite. It's not quite surreal enough to not feel real, but it's not quite real enough to feel depressing. It's like I just, uh, I can't. It's really hard to articulate. Yeah, I just no, felt I, I the know, whole thing just doesn't focus. It's just not. Mm. It's just. It just feels a little bit wet. It hasn't been. It doesn't feel as formed as some of these other comedies. No. In that I think League of Gentlemen's a great comparison, really, in a way. Even though it sounds like com- something completely different, I, I think I, it crossed my mind that did because mm. the League of Gentlemen ha- is is the same. This isn't. This has the sitcom setup, but it is also a sketch show in many ways. At the same time, it's that rare blend, and in a way, so is League of Gentlemen. I think the difference with that is that with with this, you have two more clearly defined lead characters as such, whereas yeah. the League of Gentlemen is a real ensemble of, of oddballs. Definitely, definitely. But yeah. even in that show, you had certain characters that stood out and had more more to play with. And then at the point you get to the third series of that show, you do get some of these these bigger characters from the earlier days in some cases get their own full episode because the style of that show Ooh. changes. So you've got characters like Jeff Tips, who's the angry salesman, or Pauline, the job centre worker who's a psychopath yeah. and all these people. They they all get they all get an episode, so they get more focus. I am unashamedly a mega fan of the League of Gentlemen personally I, I i think it's wonderful i i cannot get enough of that show i love it to bits so this is nowhere near as good for me as, as, as that show oh um, no no even you know, even as, uh, as as a, a lesser fan than you uh league of gentlemen pisses on this it's just... oh god yeah from a height and i I, th- I think it's because the league of gentlemen got that balance right between that grotesquerie that griminess but also, it's full of catchphrases. It's full of memorable characters. It's full of uh, ideas that, are, like you say, are taken to a completely hyper-real and genuinely kind of gonzo horror level of, of yeah. comedy. Whereas 15 Stories High doesn't do any of that. It doesn't even go down the route of, of something like Bottom. Because I think Bottom is a big inspiration for this. Because you have... You have the two guys living in a grungy, gr- grimy flat in London who are just hapless in all kinds of ways. Hopeless in love, hopeless in life. But they're not quite as bad as Richie and Eddie, who were just comic book characters who didn't have jobs and all this kind of thing. And, 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 but, they, you know, they have... Vince like, he's like a, uh, a, 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 runs a, a small swimming pool, sort of lifeguard kind of thing. You know, Errol has, he's doing the odd job here and there that kind of that kind of stuff so that you know they, they can hold down positions in society but they are also living these really quite sad pathetic lives but it but with, with bottom that lent obviously heavily into the idea of hyper real slapstick and farce and just complete oddball wackiness and it worked because of that because it did it was it knew what it was it knew completely what it was doing whereas 15 stories high just feels like it's caught between all these different stalls and it never really kind of lands on anything concrete it has 
it has it almost feels like it's first drafted in some ways and I, I don't i don't think that's that's true i think i think they probably would have gone through this and thought th- thought through this a lot and tried to really craft certain comic ideas but it just ne- it never feels like it's as well thought through and it's all a bit too just and maybe this is part of the point it's all just a bit too throwaway it's all just a little bit too a lot of the ideas just evaporate into the air a little bit too often. A lot of the light, a lot of the comedy just evaporates into the air for me to the point I never really felt like there was anything in here I could quote back. There's only one thing that stuck in me, which was where in the that was in the very first episode when Vince's for laughs shouting "Oi!" to people till they fall off their bike oh, yeah. <laughs> at the bottom of the road. He's like "Oi!" Like that, and he just randomly does it. <laughs> and I think Errol says, "Are you trying to like, um, you know, help someone out there?" He's like, "No, I'm just doing it so they'll fall off." <laughs> and that's quite funny. <laughs> and he's, "Oi!" So that stuck with me. But there wasn't enough of that. There wasn't enough of that kind of stuff. No, that's uh, um, weirdly as well. It's like you. So you describing that joke to me just made me chuckle. When I was watching it, yeah. I didn't really laugh. Yeah, and I, strange. And, and isn't it? maybe, maybe it's that kind of show. Maybe it's like. You know, the three of them were sat there writing, coming up with these ideas. Like, there's, it stuck with me. Like, there's a scene, well, sort of a sequence of scenes uh, in one of the second series episodes uh, where Vince is just eating a full block of cheese. Um, <laughs> and he's just sort of, you know, it's like the scene's going on and, and um, yeah. you know, Errol's chatting to him and he's just sitting there eating this full block of cheese. And I was watching it and I was thinking, that, to me, that is objectively funny the idea of somebody casually mm. eating and biting chunks off a full block of cheese i find that a funny concept especially because it's not referenced and i can imagine the three writers sort of sat there in the room just going this will be brilliant we have him just just during the scene he's just eating a block of cheese and we don't mention it i can see the process of writing that and and i can see me as the target audience to find that funny but it just wasn't funny. I was just watching it. I was like, mm. why am I not finding that funny? And I think maybe it was just the, the what goes around it or the place that I was in terms of my relationship to the show by then. But and that's what it is. I feel like there are, there's there's ingredients there. But it's like you say, it's it's got a very first draft kind of feel to it. And I don't want to kind of unfairly compare it to shows that it's not you know i think league of gentlemen i think is a good comparison um but obviously that show is very different you know audience laughter a bit mm, more mm, surreal mm. stuff but it I, I do think that it it bears comparison the other show that i kept thinking of do you remember um monkey dust the animated I, i've not seen it i know uh, the name know of it yeah that mm. i mean again that was incredibly hit and miss um, but that was, you know, short-lived animated show, and it was all these little vignettes all set around the same sort of area, and it was they were quite dark and unpleasant and a bit creepy. Some of them were quite funny, some of them were quite disturbing, and some of them just didn't really work, as is the nature of a sketch show. But I kept thinking of that with this, and again, in that same way as League of Gentlemen, that it Monkey Dust had a had a focus to it, it had a, a kind of a a drive behind it that that this didn't. And, and I felt that this was going for a lot of similar kind of beats as that show, the kind of starkness. But there are things like the, you know, we, we keep cutting backwards and forwards to some old guy sat in his chair and in the corner of the frame, you can see there's a, a clearly middle-aged woman is doing a kind of a strip tease for him. <laughs> and we keep cutting backwards and forwards mm-hmm. between this um, 
and then it, the, she sort of finishes stripping and he basically just says thanks so much get out but it's it, yeah. it just sort of it just wasn't funny yeah, yeah. I, I it's odd isn't it I it's know. really but, but, odd that, like, but I remember that one though. But and I, and I was I was thinking at the time. I quite I think the camera position here is interesting because you've got it's like you're underneath the TV almost, and yeah. he, he's normally sitting in his chair and he's watching the telly because he's like old mm. and he's living in this dingy flat. And then, like you say, you see this old woman doing the strip. You never see her strip everything off, and it's she's new. No. You just see their legs. You see the bottom of her legs, but you can tell she's old. And she's not necessarily like trim or anything like that. And part of the joke—that's part of the joke, obviously. Um, an old lady stripping off, but you don't—you don't see anything revealing. But you've got—you can see him watching her. So it's it, the, the placement of that camera is really interesting, and it—and it help. It does help with the joke. It helps it be a bit funnier, as opposed to if you would just had the camera square on and you saw a woman taking her clothes off and a guy watching her. So I, I think there was there's some thought and intention behind some of the way they try and film some of these ideas. Um, I mean, the the, the 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 in the random like, litany of sketches, one that made me laugh is the wife swappers who come round and it's and you start off with a couple who seem like they're re- you know they're really into it and they've got snaps from all these dirty things they're doing and then they wife swap and then it cuts to the wife of that guy absolutely being hammered hammered to bits by the other guy and he's sitting there with this woman who obviously there's no chemistry with and they're having to listen to the other two have really loud sex above them (laughs) and it keeps cutting back a couple of times to that as he's going oh oh upstairs (laughs) the guy's just sitting there like the most impressed in the world that was really funny to me because it was it was a really well executed little little joke that, that obviously erred on that side of the real sort of skeeviness you get in these flats full of people mm. who are just a bit perverted or they're up to like wife swapping all this stuff that's you know on, on, on the edges of society of, of the kind of things that are acceptable and, I, and so I think they tried to craft a world with this tower block but but they, but then you get random like you say you'll have random sketches where it's just two druggies just sitting there you know for a couple of scenes, and they're just like, Ugh, can't really bother to get up, Ugh, that kind of thing. And, and it's just, you've got this random assortment of things that don't work. And, it, and I suppose, you know, the argument could be made that they tried to go for a bit more of a grounded comedy aesthetic but th- than something hyper-real like The League of Gentlemen. But then you had stuff around the same time. You know, you've got The Office, as we've talked about, which is just, it, I think it's in its second series when this comes out, because I have to correct myself on the dates. It was actually 2002 to 2004, not 2001 to 2003, this show. Yes. So you've got The Office. Yeah. Then you've got, you've got stuff like Phoenix Nights on Channel 4 without a laughter track, but it's doing a lot more broad sort of comedy, you know, catchphrase sort of comedy a lot of the time as well. But these are the kind of shows that are making people laugh a lot more and taking off. Whereas, And they seem to have more of an idea of what they're doing. Whereas 15 Stories High feels like it's pulling from all these different potentially great threads, but it never quite coalesces into anything that is genuinely memorable. You know, apart from the odd fleeting moments of, oh, that was good. That's a good idea. Or, you know what I mean? It just, and, it, and it's disappointing to watch it in that context because you start to see... If anything, you start to see it get worse. Actually, I think I think the better episodes are right at the very beginning. Definitely. So, yeah, I think there's like, well, I think there's a point actually that it's, um, which is it? Sorry, I think it's episode four in the first series with the is it the the ice queen or whatever it is? Um, yeah, yeah. Where there's the woman who keeps meeting the in the lift, um, and w- it, weirdly, I think that's the point that it just it loses itself because 
that episode is is actually stuffed with very very traditional sitcom tropes um there are lots of like i did link, link more so than any other episode almost more so than the rest of the whole series that they have gag setups and gag payoffs you've got the, mm. the setup with the coat with the stain and him dying the coat you've got the setup with the the annoying uh, bible basher that keeps coming to the door you've got the setup with um uh the, this rat that needs killing and and uh, there are all these kind of like gag setups um being put in place uh, in that episode and then the the sort of the end like minute or so is basically the payoff to all of these gags and it's very very sitcommy in mm. that way which other episodes aren't other episodes don't necessarily set up a gag in scene one and pay it off in in the closing scene uh, and while I didn't find that that episode particularly funny uh it did kind of it sort of highlighted for me really the fact that it's all over the place and just like pulling from different and all of a sudden there's a there's a voiceover and sort of like head narration going on in that episode which hadn't really been done previously and there's a lot of it in this episode and then after that I felt like it it actually dripped off even worse so you know episode five and six aren't particularly good and then I feel like the second series is is even more disparate it seems to have less of the sketch element to it the the production value seems slightly better but it's just it it just I mean the second series like to be honest it kind of blurs into one for me as well it's like I and I don't want to be super cruel because it's the <laughs> it feels a bit perverse that we've gone you know what it's very sad this this guy's died it's untimely and a lot of people um you know are kind of like looking back to his work and let's as a tribute to this guy let's watch his his sitcom and then we're just sitting there going well, it was shit <laughs> hopefully you were saying it in a slightly more interesting way than that but it's um uh unfortunately i i yeah it just doesn't go anywhere it doesn't do anything no, it doesn't. I, I, I know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's shit necessarily. I, I, th- I think it's. No, no. I'm being I think sort it's. Of... No, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and, but I know. Hopefully, that's what people will get. In that, we're not. We're not trying to do a complete sort of, you know, tear down of Sean Locke's work here. It's really. This isn't really. Really, isn't what we, we want. We wanted to do an episode. Look back at this because we started to see it on iPlayer and pop up and think. Actually, let's people are talking about this like like now let's investigate it because we didn't really know a lot about it and i went into this really hoping it was going to be really great like i said a real hidden gem and i was disappointed that it wasn't and i think we'd be we'd be doing sean luck a disservice if we lied about it and we tried to say it was brilliant when we don't feel that way mm. so hopefully as listeners you'll understand where we're coming from in that we you know we, we we're trying to honestly depict what we think about this show and 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 i think that it's you know, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, it could, it could have been that the the source material was better, and I don't, I don't know how much you, you've you've uh, seen of this because there was there were two radio series that sort of influenced this. There was uh, one in the mm-hmm, yeah. uh, nineteen ninety eight to nineteen ninety nine called Sean Luck's Fifteen Minutes of Misery, which was on Radio Four late night, um, and uh, he starred in that with Kevin Alden and Hattie Hayridge. Kevin Alden, we talked about recently. I think oh yeah, he, he pops, pops up in everything. <laughs> He's in an episode. Um, <laughs> and he pops up here. Yeah, he does pop up in this, doesn't he? And obviously, Hattie Hayridge was involved in Red Dwarf and, and lots of other things. Um, but and then you've got uh, the radio show Fifteen Stories High, 
um, mm. which again broadcast late night on four, written by Sean Luck and Martin Treneman, who he wrote, who he who co-wrote, co-writes um, this much of this show, particularly season two, mm. with him um, alongside uh, uh, Mark Jones, aka Mark Lamar mm-hmm. from Nevermind the Buscocks uh, and many other things. So. And Trenman actually appears in the final episode, I think. I think it's the final episode where he plays the guy who comes to work at Vince's uh, swimming pool. And he's, he's, he's very good, actually, because he plays this guy who's uh, he's like he's constantly trying to be like en- endearing. And he's like, he, he's talking yeah. like this. He's talking like this all the time. Everything's, everything's a laugh. <laughs> the end of voice is like, <laughs> And he's... <laughs> It's really, he is really good, and I because they all hate him, and Vince yeah. is having to try his best not to, to like him, and he's constantly talking like this. Isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's that's in a few episodes, isn't he? I think because isn't he? He's the, oh, is he? Um, is he? Yeah, I think he's the uh, the, the the fishmonger. Um, you oh, know, I'm sure he. And isn't he the guy? Is it, oh, I, might, yes. Doesn't he also play the guy with the 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 sofa and the the fish slice in the drawer. I'm sure that's him as well. Oh, does he? I mean, that um, makes sense because they they don't worry about doing that, do they? They'll, no, they'll have no. Like people it's, pop again in that times. sort of sketch show way. A lot of the actors like bounce up and around playing different. I mean, th- this is not. This is this is. I say this from a purely practical point of view. I think a mixture of the the deliberate style that they've gone for and how they've shot it, and also the the age of it because it was obviously you know fairly cheaply done. The quality mm. of what you're watching, even on iPlayer, even with you know what we've got today, it's it's not it's not physically easy to watch. And there were moments where I was looking at faces and going, "Is is is that that actor? I can't because it's mm. washed out and it's a bit grainy and stuff." So, but I I'm I'm pretty sure he's he's in most episodes. He, pro- um, he probably is. I mean, he's best known for playing. Um... That one of the dads in the in between us, yes. So sort of after this, isn't he? he so is. I, I think Simon's dad in the in between us. I think uh, um, Simon, Simon, yeah, the the, the nice, well, yeah, he's gonna the hey, nice man, one. And we uh, love doing it doggy style. Yeah, Up yeah. The that's how you were conceived. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, him and, the, him and his mum were just having sex all the time. And he, uh, like, um, not to, not, not to. I apologise for the name drop. Um, you'll hear the clang in a second. But I've, I've worked with him a few times. Um, oh, on cool. different yeah. things um, he did some writing he used to, we used to have writers on Live at the Apollo and stuff like that and I've also um, he used to come and do regular pitch writing at one of the companies that I used to work at he's the he's the nice like he's just the nicest man in the world he's like oh, cool. he's so nice um, just for anyone out there who is what <laughs> I wonder if the dad from the in-betweeners is nice or a dick he's like <laughs> no he's no he's really nice um but it's interesting because he um, he doesn't necessarily strike you as somebody who would be writing stuff quite as as I guess surreal or off the wall as this is at least going for. Um, but a lot of his writing does have this kind of this this weird sort of slightly dark edge to it, um, which I think in other in other things that he's written from I think maybe works better. I think he's he's a he's a very good writer. Um, it's another reason why I was slightly disappointed that I didn't enjoy this more than I did. Mm, yeah, 
Yeah, it, it, it's be, and it's hard to know quite what the contributions are, really, unless you actually had yeah, a long exactly. conversation with some people um, and quite what he wrote. But, he, he, yeah, he was, particularly in that last episode, I, I've, he, was, he, was very, he stood out to me as very good. But I'd be interested, it'd be interesting to... I haven't listened to those radio shows, I, I confess, but it'd be interesting to see how, how they play. There were two uh, series of, of 15 Stories High on radio um, and had a range of people, so quite a few who crop up in this show, particularly Peter mm. Serafinowicz, who who, orig- who plays who plays Errol in the radio yeah. show, and then in in this he plays just random. Ca- I think in one particular he's playing like quite a sinister sort of guy trying to put a band together <laughs> at yes. one point in one of the flats. And this would have been this was around the same time as Spaced, wasn't it? Because Spaced would have been late. Was it late nineties? Yeah, this would be just after uh, I think because space was what yeah. ninety nine and ninety one two ish. Sorry, two thousand. Uh, yeah, no, didn't go back in yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like ninety nine and around two thousand, maybe two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. So it was just after that, wasn't it? So though he would be doing the radio show around the same time as that. So and then obviously, you know, he subsequently gone on after that to do lots and lots of things. But it, you know, so. Um, and and in that show, it, um, it the idea of all the different people in the tower block. It was that um, well, it, it wasn't called it wasn't called Vince and that. It was just Sean. He was just called Sean. Yes. So it would be Sean would look the character of Sean played by Sean Locke used to listen in on others um, uh, in, in different flats, and that's how you'd get all these different vignettes of all these different things happening. He was just he was just basically a, a, a peeping tom. He was just like you know, or a listening, bogging people's flats and things and listening. So they got rid of that in in the show, which is probably probably for the best, really, because I think it would it would have been it would have made Vince turned Vince into a very into a completely different character. I think if he was just like spying on everybody, I think it would have been yeah, really, it's, made him really creepy. So it's it's I, it's because tr- I, I like you, I didn't. Uh, basically because I was never much of a, a Sean Locke fan I didn't listen to the radio show but I can I can imagine how that that concept you know the listening in thing um, especially as as radio naturally lends itself to playing more surreal comedy anyway I, I can imagine how that possibly probably worked better um, you know with, with without having listened to it probably the radio show I might find funnier. I, I I think that it is maybe a case that it hasn't translated as well, or they didn't know quite how to translate it. It's possible. If anyone if anyone's listened to the radio stuff, let us know because it would be interesting to to compare the two. Um, and I think what the sad thing is, though, I think the character, like I say, the characters themselves have potential. Like Vince is very much from that comedy stable. I felt I don't know about you. I felt he was one part Hancock because again, so many of these sort of Grumpy characters can trace their lineage back to Tony. Oh Hancock. yeah, he's like the, the granddad. Um, yeah, yeah, and then also quite a bit um, Rigsby. So Leonard Rossiter in um, yeah. well, he's in Damp, uh, particularly at the beginning when Errol's coming in, because Errol, Errol's a little bit like Richard Beckinsale in that show. You know, it's that, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? That same kind of character. And when he comes in, Vince is very fastidious, like about his sofa. So Errol's sitting on the sofa. And Vince is like, do you have to sit there? Do you have to be that close? <laughs> and eventually he has to get rid of the sofa to, to prevent Errol sitting next to him. So those kind of things, I just wish it had been that good. Like that that at the beginning, I was like, no, I get this. I understand that you're like a grump. You probably need, you need someone to move in because you need the rent. But you don't, this guy comes in and he's quite unassuming and quite friendly. And you don't want it. You know, you just want to be left alone. 
you know I, I, that's that's good that's a good comic idea but i just think it vince should have been i think a better character than he ends up being in terms of the longevity of comedy you know i absolutely agree that that's one of the biggest takeaways for me because i like sean Locke is not a bad actor he's he's okay he's it's it's decent i guess decent sitcom definitely decent sketch show acting there are a few moments where i think it his his inability kind of like shines through a little bit but he's fine he's fine in it as a as an actor he has of course set himself up next to benedict wong who is who is an excellent i mean fantastic actor so it's kind of like i feel a little bit sorry for him there um that he's playing against you know this this brilliant brilliant character actor i'm so glad benedict wong is getting his due now like with the marvel stuff you know how how great is i mean i know it's it sounds really cheesy but it's so good to see someone because he's been especially you know comedy and especially the sort of slightly i guess the slightly more sort of um surreal or avant-garde comedy he's been around you know well you know best years. Part, 20 years and yeah, he's yeah, yeah. great and he's one of those people that when he pops up in something it's kind of like yeah i love this guy yeah so to see him getting this slice of that marvel yeah. pie it's like and also yeah. such a sort of integral part it's like everybody mm. loves him Everybody loves him in yeah. the Marvel movies, and he's he's turning up in dozens of them. I'm just like, yeah. nice one, Benedict. Yeah, Although he's I'm so thing, pleased. Though, without diverging, there are two actors in the UK called Benedict, and Marvel <laughs> decided to put both of them in the same movie. <laughs> like, and, and yeah, in, and, yeah and, and as a partnership, essentially. That's the best thing. Yeah, yeah. Benedict. <laughs> How do they direct those scenes? The, Benedict, come over here. Uh, which one? Sorry. Oh, uh, uh, ben, uh, ben, uh, ben, uh, ben, uh, ben and Ben. Ben, the Benedicts. Well, what, what I would what I would have just done is use various... Because whenever I say the other Benedict's name, I always just... I always mangle it. So I always say, like, Flumberdink Cumber, Cumbercatch or something oh, like yes. that. You know, that's... That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what Bendy you've got to do. Ben comes a bunch. <laughs> that's the best one, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bendy Dick. Yeah. Bendy Dick. Over. Come over. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think that. But yeah, I think you're right. The, the character of Vince is is just a little undercooked. Um, I would have mm, liked it mm. if he was meaner or nastier. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't, I don't really know what the show is saying, and it doesn't. I know that a show doesn't have to say anything. It doesn't have to be commenting on the society. It doesn't have to be um, trying to you know educate us or, or, or change our views. But if it's not doing, if it's basically saying, no, we're not saying anything, it still has to say that. The show has to say we're not saying anything. And I feel like this doesn't quite do that because this starkness, this this dark, bizarre block of flats that he lives in. And I'm sure I counted in the opening sequence. I'm sure the block of flats he lives in has more than 15 stories. I'm sure it's not (laughs) about 16 or 7. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Um, it's like, I feel like, well, you're showing us, you know, the underbelly, the seedy underbelly of, of, you know, that kind of like area of London life. So so surely you're commenting on that. What are you saying about that? And I feel like the whole show never, it never really displays what it's trying to do or say. And if it's not doing or saying anything, it doesn't let us know that. So I, it's like I'm always trying to figure it out as the central focus point of that. Vince is so so loose and directionless and I just yeah. wanted something more. I wanted him to be a proper 
sneaky bastard or to be <laughs> a misunderstood misanthrope or to be you know it's like when he's trying to he's trying to impress the the woman is that he works with by pretending he's got one testicle and bringing his <laughs> his work colleague that he doesn't like to but he's sort of, but he's actually like when he's trying to bring this work colleague to the to the surprise party that this woman has thrown it's like he's actually he's actually being sort of there are moments where you feel like he's actually being quite nice like he's genuinely being quite nice uh, but then it doesn't quite work because he's only doing it to try and get off with this woman but you don't quite feel you don't quite feel his pure motivation and then when she sort of loses interest he's he's a dick to her and it's like it's just all kind of like it doesn't quite coalesce for me and i just i just wanted it all i just wanted the whole show to have more focus and i wouldn't even necessarily have found it funnier but i at least would have found it more satisfying if i felt there was a sense of focus there yeah, yeah, I I, I agree because it has to be driven by your main character, doesn't it, or your main yeah. couple of characters, you know? And I think it, it it it's it's like you say, not all comedy has to has to have a moralizing, or it has to tell a you know tell a story, or it has to make a point. But I think the best comedy, in a way, does even when it's like hyper real, like Bottom, or super surreal, like League of Gentlemen. Those are kind of shows that are you know, say taking Bottom's case, it's it's it, essentially it's it's commenting on like path, the pathetic you know ma- yeah. male kind yeah. of uh you know sexual sort of obsession or they or then you've got um uh stuff like the league of gentlemen which is very much unpicking that the, the kind of dark horror twisted scab of like the the, the north if you like yeah. you know the the, the folk horror north of England. It's so you know, where you, I grew up. I grew... <laughs> <laughs> right there, you go. You you, my, you grew up in Royston Vasey. Uh, honestly, my, um, my the village I grew up in was name checked in an interview once about Royston Vasey. It's like right there, we go. That's good to know. <laughs> there you go. You know, and even something like Only Fools and Horses, which obviously is partly mainly set heavily set in a tower block, is very much a show about well, and you see that particularly in the later series when Del Boy tries to become a yuppie mm. it's very much underpin, underpinning about class, capitalism oh, you know massively structures so. of society about, about money and all this kind of thing, there's loads to that and, and so you've got you can understand those ideas you know, within that framework of a and, and in the, the, the case of say Bottom and, and Only Falls and Horses of a London setting because you know Bottom yeah. set in Hammersmith uh, Only Falls North is set in Peckham. This is set in in some in some London borough, but what I wanted was more of the and, it, and what it's trying to do, I think, is give you, like you say, give you sort of a depiction of a community within a tower block of these people who are poor, sad, depressed, living these grimy, grungy lives. Uh, you know, quite quite the working the quite unquote the working class idea of these people decaying, basically, and rotting in a tower block. Yeah. Now. The problem is that you don't necessarily feel like it's it's cohesively presenting that theme or that idea in a way that a lot of these other comedies do. And I think I think I, I wanted it to be I wanted that kind of juxtaposition that you see in um, so in, in a couple of the episodes. I think it's the first and the sixth episode in series one. They do the thing at the very beginning where the camera push, pulls up the side of the tower block and that's how it opens up. And there was a nice trick in the first series that quite a lot of the music would be linked to someone's radio. 
and then it would cut in. And I'm sure I was disappointed they got rid of that and replaced it with more of a conventional title sequence with the same music because I liked how. I think in the first and sixth episode, it begins with On the Street Where You Live. So you've got this perky sort of easy listening music and it cuts into this grimy existence. I wanted more of that. I wanted more of that sort of juxtaposition of that bleakness. And and, and, and it doesn't do enough for that. That's why I like the first series more than the second, because I think there was a little bit more of that in there. And I wish it had been a little bit more like that, in that it was trying to depict a world that, is existentially crap, you know, because the visuals are like that. It's all very washed out. It's all grey. It's all grimy. You know, it, it, on a visual sense, I get it. I understand what it's trying to do. There's, it's mm. just a sense of decay, you know, and but you don't get that feeling like you get in a lot of these better sitcoms or these better comedy shows that it will resonate with you. And, and I think that's where it lets itself down. I think there's a there's a weird slight cruelty to it but not the kind of cruelty that i that i want and to, to and to try and make that statement make any sense um yeah. it's like there are you know there are show yeah obviously we keep talking about you know league of gentlemen and that kind of thing um league of gentlemen does have elements of cruelty in it but very controlled very focused and used very effectively Whereas in in this I did and to be fair maybe I'm projecting because I've always I've always sensed this in in Sean's comedy a little bit anyway, but there were moments where it almost felt a little bit bullying of these people, mm. um, you know these people who are living these sad depressing lives. It's like a, the the commentary on them was so loose and so so wishy washy without really focusing itself that sometimes I just felt like you were bullying someone a little bit unfairly I, I think that like you know we, we talk and I'm sure we'll talk about the longevity the potential longevity of this but I did feel like the I was surprised by how many what I guess you would class as, as inappropriate or problematic jokes that were in it and it's not like it's not like it's chock full of really really offensive uh, you know, racist, homophobic jokes or anything like this, but there were quite a lot of those kind of like really little, sort of low key, slightly inappropriate jokes that we wouldn't we wouldn't really tolerate in a show today. Um, which I guess because I wasn't really enjoying it, I kind of you know picked up on those a little bit more, or I felt them a little bit more. And like, there's one sequence which, or they keep cutting back to it's these two guys who are playing a kind of a. Um, a board game based around being committed to a mental health institute, and and I was watching it, and I and that's one of the one of the slightly darker, uh, one of the slightly darker kind of like flats that we visit, but it still wasn't dark enough. It still didn't have that that League of Gentlemen sense of like really macabre. weird, cruel macabre. Yeah, exactly macabre. It didn't have that, and so because it lacked that, and because of the rest of the show is almost real i actually felt that whole sequence that whole cutting backwards and forwards was really unpleasant and really um insensitive to, to people that, that that could be suffering with these kind of conditions it actually it actually just felt unpleasant rather than any kind of like focus of of yeah macabre or comedy cruelty or even trying to understand and highlight it it just felt like a really unpleasant thing and they were sort of trying to laugh at uh, very unfortunate people and it uh, it's strange i think that the whole the whole show has little moments like that 
little moments where it's kind of like, actually, this isn't clever or dark or 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 uh, or surreptitiously cruel. It's just unpleasant. It's just little moments of unpleasantness dotted around, which again is a shame. But I think we'll we'll make reevaluation more complicated as the show goes on. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I I, I think it should have it should have lent it should have either been more likable and relatable or it should have lent more into the macabre yeah. because it tried to, it tries to or, or the pathos but it tries to sort of balance the two you know you've got you've got vignettes like um perry benson shows up who at this point was like best known probably for operation good guys which had been a couple of years ago he's like um his wife's left him and he's living in a flat and he's raising like a goat in there and he's got like he's got like a whole sort of load of hay in there um in, in what was her old room so it's like a bit of a weird sort of shrine so it has these ideas which are which are both could be both a bit sad but also weird but it never finishes them it's never it's, i just don't always know where the punchline is or i don't always know where the comic idea is going and it just doesn't sometimes go anywhere you know episodes will end on a real sort of oh that's it you know just yeah. uh, there's no there's no real uh, and, I, and to some people this would probably be a, a, a boon you know, course, and yeah. there, and there could be an idea that the existentialism of it and and that lack of narrative style, that almost verite style of comedy, in a way, without it being quite that extent to that extent, is part of the the style of it. But I don't know. I I, I feel like it, it, even nowadays, you know, you, there could be the argument that it was a little bit ahead of its time, but you know, because it was a, it was a stew in the laughter track and all that kind of stuff. But that, but there were comedies doing that then, you know. But already, there were already comedies. Yeah, uh, yeah. That. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it could. Like the Office. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I don't mm. think it could quite take that that claim. I mean, it's like no, maybe, I don't. Maybe it was it was mixed up in the vanguard, you know, the sort of during the early days, um, and and because I think I think they when they made the pilot, I think they put a laugh track on the pilot and realised that it didn't work. Yeah, um, mm. it'd be very interesting to see that show with a laugh track because then I would have known what bits were meant to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. And and you know, I, I, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because on on the one hand, the laughter track has kind of fallen out of favour now in many ways, but it, there is, there is a there is a, a benefit to that sometimes. And I think it depends on the show. I think I think this show, I can understand why a laughter track wasn't used. But oh, I yeah. think. It might, you know, a laughter track was used in the first two series of The League of Gentlemen, and it doesn't, it doesn't make that show any worse. You know, you could still have found the jokes, I think, without that laughter track, and you do in the third series. The third series of that show is really funny. It doesn't have a laughter track, um, and it's much darker and weirder. You know, even even the first two, it's less, it's it's almost less comic booky in a way. It's 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 more disturbing, but it's still funny, very funny. So there are two ways. You could have put a laughter track on this, and it, I think it would have worked, to be honest. I think it would have been okay, and I think it might have pulled out some of the jokes that are a little bit more obscure and, a, and given the audience a little bit more of a cue-in to where to find those jokes. And it could, it could also be a show that needs a few watches. It could be one of those things that, you know, if you watch it again a couple of times more, you might be able to pick out some more of this stuff, knowing kind of where it's going. But you shouldn't have to. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> yeah. you shouldn't have to do that. And, and, and most of these shows were, were made without that in mind. You know, they, they, a lot of these shows, even 15 stories high, they, were, even though you've got VHSs and DVDs around this point, they're not all necessarily... They're, they're made for broadcast. They're made for people mm. to sit down and laugh at something. 
And I, and I, I, I think I think that's where this falls down. Well, they, although this were, I mean, I, I, I agree that I don't, I don't think they sat there making this with the intention that it would be, you know, rewatched and rewatched to get all the jokes. But this, this was um, BBC Choice. You know, this this yeah. was made for, for mm. BBC Choice before it had like full broker. So I, I, I can't remember. BBC Choice was a very early form of on demand. Um, yeah, I remember but it. I, yeah, but I also a long don't, time ago now. But yeah, oh yeah, good grief, yeah, showing her age. But I also mm. don't believe that they made it with the, you know, I mean, BBC Choice was a thing that existed for a very short time. Being made for BBC Choice just meant that it had a tiny budget and the main channels didn't want it, really, rather than it being a, a forebear of streaming and binge culture or anything. But I, yeah, I, this, maybe maybe watching it again. I mean I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to watch it again <laughs> but but yeah maybe maybe watching it again improves the experience possibly possibly I I, I probably I'm, I'm not going to watch it again if I'm honest let's finish up then by a couple of little bits best episodes are there any episodes that really stand out to you that you would recommend people either watch if they haven't watched it or go back and check out again I think I think I'm going to say I'm going to say the first certainly the first episode I do think the first episode is quite good um the sofa I I, I did enjoy that quite a bit um and I I I think I'd probably then I don't I didn't find a lot in season 2 to really like that much no. I might say Ice Queen. I might say Ice Queen, which you mentioned earlier, which was episode four of the first series. The model episode two was okay as well. It wasn't too bad. That's where he's trying to train an attractive woman, and her husband's like massively jealous, and he's, uh, you know, trying to trying to stop him and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's moments in that as well that are quite good. What about you? Are there are there any? Would you agree with those, or you got any others, or anything? Yeah, like? I, you know, I I actually w- was was going to say pretty much the same. Um, and I don't, you know, what? I mean, I've been I've been speaking through a lot of hyperbole about this this show and I don't want to be actively cruel I didn't watch it and think you know what that's the best episode that's the standard episode I I didn't enjoy it very much at all I, I found it frustrating because I found you know so many things that I didn't didn't think worked and 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 as we've just discussed for an hour it's like it was less about me thinking it was bad and more about thinking that it just doesn't coalesce so I'm almost I'm almost disappointed that I didn't enjoy it, but I I would kind of agree with those, and those were the the episodes I was going to say. I think the the very first episode, less because I thought it was funny, but more because you know my my default is always go for episode one if you've not seen it, and because there was nothing else in this that I'm like, well, that's the episode that nails it. I'd say yeah, if you're going to give it a go, start with episode one and see how you feel. And actually, the follow on from that, I think episode two. Episode two was kind of weird. I, I, I'd say, you know, watch episode one, watch episode two, see how you feel, which I guess is what I did 20 years ago. Um, episode two, this was one of those strange things, not to go off on one again, but I was watching that. And a lot of the time I was feeling like this feels like an episode of Britas Empire. Like all the stuff, not, not simply because it was set in a pool, but the, the concept behind it, this kind of like sexy woman that he's teaching to swim and the very insecure husband who comes along and he's like kicking things and smashing things and jumping in the pool it's like this is a very brutas empire set of comedy and characters 
uh, whilst British Empire, oh my God, I can't wait until we get to talk about that show. But the British Empire is is on the surface a very, you know, traditional safe sitcom that has this weird, very dark underbelly to it. Well, well, it, it, as, as, a, as a little bit of a, uh, a plug for another We Made This podcast, I am going through the British Empire season by season with uh, my friend Matt Latham uh, on Shipwrecked and Comatose, which is our Red Dwarf podcast. So if you want to hear me talk at length about the British Empire, uh, <laughs> check that out oh, as well. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, again, it's this thing of like, seeing all these other threads these other kind of things so i think that that and you know what it probably has my favorite joke in it in in that second episode where this model she's a reader's wives model and vince just keeps asking her about the kitchen appliances and the tiles <laughs> and it's like you know what that's a that is joke. funny to be yeah, fair a good joke. that's a very yeah. good joke that, that you know he's this is it. Wait, to the sexy model and he's just asking her about oh where'd you get the two towels from so that, that was a good joke that was a good joke but there's there's been quite a few instances as we've been talking about this that we've described jokes and we've laughed we've laughed at them and we're finding them funny as we're talking about the setups but it's the execution that doesn't always work yeah. there are good jokes yeah. in this there, the are, there, not there are and and i'm sure you know it's it's clear that other people are finding them funny as they watch it you know i, yeah. I like i say i was slightly surprised like you know sean lock died and then several of my friends kind of said oh wow this sitcom's coming back and it's so good I, i'm so pleased and i was just like i have a vague memory of not liking it but then dismissed it almost because i don't like sean lock's comedy so I thought, okay, well, maybe it is a really good sitcom. And I was a bit more dismissive back then because I didn't like his stand-up. But then I've gone back and watched it. I'm just like, I don't I don't quite see what you're seeing. But yeah, I, and again, third, third episode that I'd recommend is, is The Ice Cream, which I think is episode four in that first series. Um, and again, it's for all the reasons I've said, I don't think it's that good. But it's very dense. There's so much going mm. on in that episode. It's very heavily plotted, which is unusual. Um, but it's really heavily plotted and has a lot going on. And, and uh, um, so it's definitely, it's at least an interesting episode. I think if you're, if you're going to enjoy this show, if you're going to like this show, then I think those three episodes will get you there. I think that, you know... And if, and if you're not going to enjoy the show, if you're not going to like the show, like I feel we have not, have mm. not, not, have not. But if you're going to feel the same way that we do, uh, I don't think there are any episodes that are going to make you feel differently. No, no, I agree. I agree, really. I, th- I think watch the first one. You know, if, if, I reckon a lot of people who listen to this have probably seen it. But, but if, if you haven't, yeah. watch the first one and see how you go. I, I do. I do think it's worth watching. I do think it's interesting. I do think there are some good performances. There are some good jokes. There are funny vignettes in there. Um, it, it, it looks it looks interesting. I like the visual aesthetic of it. I like so I like essentially what it's trying to do, but I think it's very flawed. And I think it. I don't think that's this is the question to finish. Does it stand the test of time? I don't think it does already, and I don't think it will. If I'm honest, so I can't I can't imagine this being one that is going to get a critical resurgence and go down as one of the greats, unfortunately. No, I don't think it will. And I, I think that it... I think that people are in a very positive place about it at the moment. There are going to be a lot of people watching it for, you know, for nice reasons. Um, 
and maybe people are going to be more receptive to it and they're going to be kinder to it but i i don't think it's going to stand the test of time i think to a certain degree the fact that it's not really been repeated apart from about you know what eight nine years ago is the last time it got a repeat um i i don't think that's because it's a hidden gem that the bbc is sitting on i, I think it's it, it's because it just didn't necessarily bear repeating i don't think it would have so i don't see this as as one that's going to do the cycle i don't think it's going to be you know reassessed as this kind of like great hidden classic i think some people are going to feel that way but 20 years from now i don't think we're all going to be wearing 15 stories high t-shirts and and talking about our favorite Vince no. moments i don't think that's gonna <laughs> sorry no. no sorry yeah Sean. i know no, sorry, Sean. And, you know, it is really sad that he's passed away. And even though we were never huge fans of, of his comedy, um, you know, I am. I, we are really sad about that. And it, it's been, it was interesting to at least try and go back and, and, and find something in this. Uh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I watched it. I'm, I, yeah. I, was, I'm, I don't regret it. I'm, I'm, it's always good to... Not everything works at the end of the day. Not everything works. And... It, it, and and the will like you said there will be people out there who love this and and like with any comedy there will be people out there who really find something in it and if you do great i'm really pleased that's brilliant um i don't think they're there yet i mean we we are trying to get some listener feedback for some of these episodes there, there wasn't really any for this a lot it was mainly people a couple of people going oh, i've never really seen it so <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so you know that that might well change um so if you do go and find it or you have and you've enjoyed it great awesome um so so yeah I, I i dare say you know every now and then we will find comedies we talk about rob where we don't love them as much as we hope to if we're certainly a bit first time to them no and i'm, I'm kind of i'm actually quite hopeful that that we do i'm i'm sort of looking sound might sound, sound nihilistic but i'm looking forward to discussing comedies that we feel differently about or that we don't enjoy or or, or even that we you know I mean, obviously, we're always hoping that something we haven't seen is going to be an absolute joy and become our new favourite show. Um, and, and I'm hoping that we have more. And I'm hope I'm I'm kind of looking forward to. Uh, and and again, I'm I'm not trying to name drop, and I'm not going to go into fine details. I worked with Sean quite a lot, um, and it's quite interesting for me to talk about to try and sort of objectively talk about shows that people are, have produce that i've worked with or even i'm sure we'll do a couple of shows that i've actually worked on um, yeah which i definitely will will um they're, they're the best ones by the way the ones that i've worked on. Uh, <laughs> yeah the best the ones, yeah the best the of them. we'll save them the job yeah. terrible <laughs> uh, but i'm really i'm really looking for and i kind of i almost i almost enjoy um the you know who wants to listen to two guys both just saying how much they love the same show let's find something yeah. that we both you know one of us despises and one of us loves we'll get there eventually yeah, yeah definitely we will. yeah definitely mm. and people you can yeah dm me if you want to know what sean was really like <laughs> okay well you know it's uh <laughs> have fun with that guys that'll be interesting <laughs> well uh until, until we're back for another uh, another show that Rob may or may not have worked on, uh, why don't you tell us, Rob, where listeners can find you uh, and maybe DM you until that time comes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, as always, I'm on Twitter. That's my that's my main uh, platform of promoting myself. It's Four Ducks, F O R D U C K S. 
Um, and whatever I'm doing, whether it's with uh, the We Made This network or if it's other things that I'm writing or working on, I tend to promote them all there, pimp them out there. Uh, and yeah, on the We Made This network, if you start um, looking for my name, you'll find me popping up in a few different things. Uh, guest, sp guest speaker, guest... <laughs> Uh, guest on uh, a few different podcasts which is quite fun and I've got a couple of things uh, that I'm working on which will be um, which will be launching out there hopefully fairly soon fantastic yeah there's going to be some great stuff coming up uh, that Rob's part of so it's going to be really good you can find me at uh, the We Made This Network WMT underscore network on Twitter uh, WeMadeThisNetwork.com please come and check out all the different things that I'm on or we're on uh, and me personally at AJ Black Writer on Twitter is my main hangout and my website thetruthisinhere.co.uk where you can find all my writing and books and various things like that so uh, yeah check us both out we'd be super grateful and thanks, as always, for listening and joining us for another episode. Uh, remember, as we say, we're part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe to You Have Been Watching and give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are how they aggregate. It would be a big bonus to us if you can drop the review in because it will help us get more listeners. So please, thank you if you do. Uh, and if you want to help our network and the show more generally, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash We Made This. 15 stories high, however, is not all we're talking about on the network, so we'll give you a little taste of what you might have missed in a moment. But until next time, you have been listening to Tony Black. And Robert Turnbull. And we're off to shout, oi, at some kids off a balcony. Oi! Oi! We'll see you next oi. time. Don't eat any chicken. <laughs> Elsewhere on We Made This. Observing the Pattern, a fringe podcast. Maybe people weren't quite ready for it. Maybe they wanted a bit more of what The X-Files was, which was a much more of a kind of months of the week, scare you, or this kind of myth arc, um, which had its emotion and, and, and certainly had its strong themes of family as well. But I think Fringe had it much more to the fore, much more kind of focused through line for it. And, you know, Luke, that's a really good observation in terms of, you know, like why it didn't catch on as much because... I do remember these conversations when it was airing live, and I want to say it was season three, four, and five, where the fans really like took to Twitter and was like, and were like, you know, please renew this show. Chucky Vision. I, I think it's the most graphic of a lot of them. I think it, it's the the context that was just surreal. I mean. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I would react as a censor to this because, you know, we don't, we see like, as we keep saying, we see Chucky jack off, but we don't just see like his reactions. There is literally a close-up shot of him grabbing his dick. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's a fucking turkey baster dripping with jizz oh my How god the actual fuck is this a 15 well, i think if you make something cartoonish enough then you will get away with it <laughs> and, and it does feel like they got away with it rarely going an animated star trek podcast to me the one thing that keeps coming up in these episodes is um, Boimler is actually a really good leader. Mm.
Uh, and and he he's got yeah like he actually earned his place on the Titan like you know it, it was kind of made of a joke his you know, transporter clone ended up getting to stay on the Titan and he got sent back to the Cerritos and even got demoted when he did that but you know time and again in in each episode this season Boimler has proven that he has what it takes to be a good leader he has what it takes to be a command officer I think that absolutely check out all of these shows and more. On the We Made This Podcast Network.